Good morning. It's good to be back. We were off last week. We um, went down to spend time with family. And um, I have to tell you this, that uh, St. Louis was colder than Canada last week. So um, the best thing you guys may have ever done climatologically is bringing us here. <laughs> so you're welcome. Um, but we had, we had a great Christmas, great New Year's. Um, it was exciting for us as alumni of the University of Georgia to watch the clock strike midnight as the kick from Ohio State's kicker hooked way left. So um, that was good for us. It was a great New Year's Eve. Hey, we are going to talk about vision. You know, we, we do this, right? As people, every year, the New Year rolls around and people get together and they're like, well, I'm going to do this this year and this year is going to be different this way and, and all this and, and make resolutions. And, and, you know, I don't, I mean, resolutions are great, but you, you have to have a vision to go through it. I've, I've always said, I want to start a, a gym that's called Resolutions. And, and so at January 1st, it's a gym, and then in March, it turns into a donut shop. Um, <laughs> see, I've got one member already. But, um, you know, it, it's just a natural break in the calendar. We, we like breaks, right? We like resets. We like to be able to look at things and, and say, okay, here's a starting point. And so, so that's what January 1st tends to be for a lot of us, right? It's just a starting point. Well, that's going to be a starting point for us here. But it's not going to be a starting point for resolutions or for us to say, hey, we're going to do this or I'm going to commit all my effort and my intensity to this. This is going to be a starting point for vision for us. And so we're going to dive into that today. But if you don't mind, would you stand with me? We're going to look at Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16. So I want to read those. You can open your Bible if you have it with you or pull it up on your phone and follow along. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to, me to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Father, we're grateful for your word this morning. We're grateful for this, this vision that you gave Paul of what the church is, of what the body of Christ is, what the global church can become. And so God, I ask that you just let your spirit be the filter that every word is heard through. Let it be the filter that every word is spoken through. And give us clarity of what you would have us press towards as your people, your body here in Sarnia. We just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So do you guys ever like on social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you ever see these, these pictures that come where it's like a picture and then there's kind of another picture embedded in it? 
These things are called ambiguous images. It's like you see this, but then when you look, there's something else in there. And they usually have this kind of tag that says like, um, look at this picture and whatever you see first tells you about your personality. You ever seen those? And then you click on it and you're like, oh, I saw this first, I saw that first. And usually after you click on it, it tells you like, oh, if you saw the lion, then you're some kind of sociopath. But if you saw the little girl, then you're just this kind-hearted, warm, loving, and all-around magnificent person. You seen those? I usually see the lion. Um, <laughs> but, but those pictures all start with the same question. What do you see first? And so I thought maybe what we could do is look at some of those pictures this morning, and then that way we can figure out who the sociopaths are and who the magnificent people are. So, um, no, I'm just kidding. Let's, but we're going to look at some of those. This is strictly for fun, not for diagnosis. You can keep your answers to yourself if you feel uncomfortable or you don't want to be outed here as a uh, psychotic. So here we go. So put that first picture up if you don't mind. So what do you see here? Do you see a skull, or do you see a woman looking in a mirror sitting at a desk? How about, how about this next one? How about that? What do you see? Do you see a chalice, or do you see two faces? And then here's this last one. What do you see there? Do you see an old woman, or do you see a young girl? See, it's interesting. It's funny how we all kind of see one thing First, But then when somebody guides us into seeing the other image, we can't unsee it. You notice that once you see the other image that you don't see, it's there. And it's hard to avoid it. Our minds seem to default to one image over the other, and then we need help to see the other image. And I think this is how that thing called vision works. I think we have a natural tendency to see one thing relatively easily. But then we need somebody to say, hey, let me help you see the other thing that's here. And so here's what happens. A clear vision opens our eyes to aspects of what's in front of us that we don't necessarily immediately see. And all of us have a vision that's been conditioned by our experiences, by what we've learned, by our hurts, by what we're seeking. In short, our vision is conditioned to see certain things over other things. And I think it's important to understand that as we talk about vision for Temple in the coming years. Because what we're going to lay out today and next week as our vision is not a completely new picture. I'd say it's a picture that's been in the picture of Temple all along. Just like those ambiguous images. It's always been there. Simply put, it's the picture with both the old lady and the young girl. It's the picture with the chalice and the two faces. You see one of them immediately, but once you see the other one, you can't unsee it. And so I want to help you see that the vision that we are going to press into to move towards was always in the picture of temple. We're not changing course we're not discarding the past. We're not creating a new thing. We're simply focusing on a different part of the image, the one that's important for this season, for this age of the church, for this time in our culture. 
And I think it's critical for us to acknowledge that we live in a very different world than we've ever lived in before. The world has changed dramatically. We're living in an age when the groaning of all creation, as Paul calls it in Romans 8, seems to be louder. It seems to be more painful. We're living in an age when there's longing for what Paul goes on to say in Romans 8 as the, the redemption, the freedom from corruption seems more desirable and more necessary. See, here's the thing. Temple is not changing. We've always been and will continue to be about Jesus lifted high and drawing people to himself. That's what it's always been here. That was the vision in 1937 that was born in revival, and that's the vision that we still have. It's a vision that has lasted for 85 years, and it's populated sections of heaven. It's changed lives here and now. People are living differently in Sarnia than they would have had Temple not had that vision 85 years ago. But here's what we will do. We will, however, respond to this current age, the changing needs of people in a post-Christian society. See, in the previous cultural age, the main question was in some way, shape, or form this. What is the meaning of life? Some of us are old enough to remember when that was the question. People were asking that over and over again. What is the meaning of life? The answer was simple. It's Jesus. And Temple did a great job for 85 years asking that question, answering that question. But here's the problem. Now we're in a world that inflicts wounds and hurts on everyone. In a world that says you have no identity apart from what you decide you are. In a world that increasingly holds up the self as the highest standard and the highest ideal. And here's what's happened as a result of that. The question has changed from what is the meaning of life to how do I live well? That's the question our culture is asking. How do I live well? How do I feel fulfilled? How do I find purpose? How do I get real? How do I heal from my woundedness and find some sense of identity? That's the question that our culture is asking now. And look at the answers we're coming up with. Answers that lead to confusion, that lead to hurts, that lead to relationships that can't last, that lead to a purpose that serves only the individual in the moment, when the real answer is still the same. It's Jesus. That's the answer to this question. But make no mistake, this question that the culture is asking has definitely changed. We've been answering that first question well with boldness and compassion for 85 years. Now it's time to answer the next question with the same boldness and compassion that we answered the previous one with. Hopefully you can see 
That the need in our society, the need for Jesus is as strong as ever. But for the first time in the history of the Western world, the need is deeply personal. It's interior. And people are more willing to talk about their interior confusion and wounds than they've ever been. Heck, we live in a culture where if you don't have a wound, you find one. We want to be identified by our brokenness. That's where we're at as a society. And our purpose is gonna match this need and we're gonna answer this question, how do I live well? We're gonna answer it for the lost and the wounded for sure. But first, we need to answer that question for the found and the healing. Us, those that are in the body. And our purpose going forward will be to offer an invitation to finding the way to live well in the only source of life, that is Jesus. That's what our next two weeks are gonna be about. Laying out a purpose and a process that will not only boldly and unashamedly acknowledge that the question has changed, but with equal boldness will answer that question, how do I live well with the answer of Jesus? And first, we have to find that answer for those of us in the body, those of us who are in Christ. And then we have to be prepared and equipped and unified so that we can take that answer to the lost and wounded who are in our culture, in our community, in our schools, in our homes, who are not in the body. So here's where we're going. We're going to structure everything in our ministry here at Temple to foster making all of us well and mature in Christ and then release these growing and maturing apprentices of Jesus on the world. I hope you're a little curious how we're gonna do that. And the answer is back in Ephesians 4. Paul's vision for the global church in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is a vision for the body of Christ. That's all believers who have ever lived. And I wanna share with you some key aspects to his vision. In verse 11, he tells us that God has given his church people to fill every necessary role. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In verse 12, he tells us God has given a purpose to the people who fill these roles in the church for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Look at your neighbor. There's a saint. We are the saints. The body of Christ is the saints. And then Paul goes on to tell us what the outcome of this purpose is if we do the work of ministry as he calls it and it's for the building up of the body of Christ. And then in verse 13, he gives us the duration for this purpose. You ready for this? How long, so what are we gonna do? We're gonna equip the saints to do the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. 
Okay, great. How long are we going to do that? Well, here's the answer to the duration in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, here's what I know. None of us as of yet has reached the full measure of the statue, stature of Jesus. No matter how long you've been in Christ, no matter how long you've been in church, you have not achieved that yet. So guess what? We, as those in the body, have some growing to do. None of us can say, I have arrived, because none of us is the measure of the stature of Christ in fullness. And so that, in Ephesians 4, is Paul's God-given vision of what the church should be. It's a vision of God's people growing, becoming mature, becoming Jesus. It's a vision of God's people being equipped by those who God has placed in the body, of them being released to do the work of ministry, of them being unified in the faith, of them becoming mature in Christ, becoming the very fullness of Christ. That vision aligns with what Jesus taught. Listen to this in Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now the Greek word, don't let that word, the English word perfect scare you. The Greek word for perfect here is teleios. It means to be complete, to be whole, to be mature, of fully developed character. That's exactly what Paul says that the church should be producing in Ephesians 4. Believers who are the fullness of Christ in stature. Individuals who are fully mature in Christ, complete in Christ, fully developed in the character of Jesus himself. Now this verse I think all of us know, right? Churches have been built, wars have been started over this verse. Verse 19 in Matthew 28. But you know that one, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus commissioning, sending his apostles out. And it's a great corporate call of the entire church around the globe and throughout history. And we have to honor it. We have to live into it. But I want to read you verse 20 also. Because oftentimes verse 20 isn't tossed in with verse 19. Listen to verse 20. Teaching them to follow all that I commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is telling his disciples to make other disciples, to baptize them in the name of the triune God. But that's not the end. The next step that Jesus gives them is teaching them to follow all that he has commanded. That's what Paul calls becoming mature in Christ, what Jesus calls being perfect 
Paul tells us that we measure our progress in that by standing next to Jesus. Is my interior life becoming the very life of Christ himself? And that is actually possible because of Matthew 28, 20. He is always with us. So that transformation is empowered by Christ's presence in us. And so then the question becomes this. For us as Christians, am I becoming a Galatians 2.20 Christian? Is my ego, my self-will, are my wrong desires, my self-serving attitudes, are they being crucified with Christ? Am I the I that is the life that serves only me, dying more and more each day, and is the very life of Christ overtaking my inner life? I think this happens when we seek to obey the greatest commandment that Jesus gives us in Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And so I want to wrap all that up neatly before we take the next step. Jesus tells his followers to be perfect. That means mature, to be fully grown, to be complete in him. And then he says that the most important thing for us to do is to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then Paul takes this vision of Jesus and drops it in Ephesians 4 and says, hey, here is a corporate vision for the global and eternal church. This is the vision that the church should have. And he tells us that God has given us the people who can lead us into that. And he says, if they are doing their job, then you, the church member, will be equipped to do the work of ministry. And that work will actually be building up the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Jesus himself. Then Paul brings Jesus' vision down to an individual level. So he puts it over the room for us. Now he's going to put it in the seat with you. He says, as you do this, each one of you who is committed to this and who is seeking this, you will be unified in the faith. So we as individuals will be unified in faith as we do this. And each one of you will grow as an individual into a mature believer. Now understand, Paul's not talking about old. He's not telling us, well, I'm, you know, I'm old now, so I must, I must be grown. He's talking about mature in the inner life. He's talking about becoming the very image of Jesus in full. That's the individual call in his vision of what the church can be. It's a corporate vision for the eternal and anointed body of Christ in all generations. And it can only be realized by individuals who are seeking it. Seeking it for themselves in their own lives and then walking with others, unified in faith, as we seek it individually together. 
So here's my prayer, that we would become people who can say that our purpose is simply this, to love God passionately, to serve our neighbors generously, and to grow in Christ intentionally. That's our purpose. It's just that simple. And I believe that as we love God passionately and serve our neighbors generously and grow in Christ intentionally, we will equip each other to do the work of ministry in our homes and in our schools and in our jobs and in our sports and in the markets and the coffee shops and the stores and our community. I believe that as we love God passionately and serve our neighbors generously and grow in Christ intentionally, we will find that we are a ministry, not simply doing ministry. That we are a ministry to our lost loved ones and family members, to our social circles, in the workplace, to our coworkers. I believe that as we love God passionately, serve neighbors generously, and grow in Christ intentionally, we as a body here at Temple will become more unified in our faith and begin to live in the knowledge of Jesus that brings intimacy and union with him. I believe that as we love God passionately and serve our neighbors generously and grow in Christ intentionally, we will become more mature with the measure and stature of Jesus as our standard. Not what the culture tells us that living well is being a better person today than you were yesterday. So the culture is saying your old self is your standard. Our standard is Christ himself. I believe that as we love God passionately and serve neighbors generously and grow in Christ intentionally, we will become a church that fulfills the great commission to make disciples through the transformed and transforming lives that we live. We'll honor the second half of the great commission to teach others to follow everything that he has commanded as we as individuals grow into the fullness of Jesus we will do what Jesus did we'll invite others to walk with us to do life together with the fullness of Christ as the goal and we'll live out the mentor apprentice dynamic that Jesus used with his disciples I will follow someone and someone will follow me as I follow Christ I know this, it's impossible to live well when you are wounded and broken. The cultural age is obsessed with the question, how do I live well? The short answer is simple, to live well, you must love well. None of us are capable of love apart from the love of God. Wounded, lost, isolated, hurt, and marginalized people cannot love well. The cultural mindset and the residual effects of COVID produce only wounded, lost, disregarded, isolated, hurt, and marginalized people. But guess what? Jesus is greater than any cultural mindset and he's more powerful than a pandemic. We must become people who love God passionately and serve our neighbors generously and grow in Christ intentionally so that we become people who love 
well. First, love God well. That we live the life of Christ and invite others into that lifestyle of healing love with our very presence. Just being there changes things. Our purpose is simple. Love God passionately. Serve neighbors generously. Grow in Christ intentionally so that Jesus is lifted up as the only adequate answer to the question, how do I live well? As we as individuals in the community of Temple grow in this purpose and live it out, we will help others see that Jesus is the only answer not only to this question, but to every question. Our lives will speak that. Our passionate love for God will shout that out. Our generous serving of our neighbors will put it on display and our intentional growth in Christ will sustain it. And so before I pray, I want to do two things. One is, I want to invite you to come back next week to hear how we're going to do this. Okay. <laughs> this is our purpose, but every purpose must have a process. And so we will lay that out for you next week. Here's the second thing I want you to do. This one's a little more difficult because I'm going to ask you to do one of those preachy, uh, cheesy preacher things that drives me nuts. And you're not going to like it, but just know this. I didn't like it before you didn't like it. So I'm going to ask you to stand up with me. And I want us to make a statement of intention together. I just want you to hear these words out of your mouth, with your voice, in your ears. So will you put that slide up? We're just going to read this together out loud. You ready? I like you mean it now. My desire is to fulfill the greatest commandment, to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Therefore, I will seek to do three things more each day. Next slide. <laughs> that is to love God passionately more today than yesterday. Serve neighbors generously more today than yesterday. Grow in Christ intentionally more today than yesterday. Father, you've heard our words. And Father, I pray that these words settle into our hearts, that we become people who live lives that have one central purpose. The purpose is Mark 12, verse 30, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, I know that we live in a world where the question is, how do I live well? And the answers are absurd. The answers that our culture gives us to that question have no bearing on reality itself. They create confusion, they create hurt, they create lostness. And so God, I pray that as we pursue this purpose as your body, your bride here in Sarnia, that we show people that the answer to the question, how do I live well, is Jesus. He lived well. He empowers us to live well. He transforms us into people who want to live well. 
and you do all that so that he will be glorified and that out of love he can draw more and more to himself and so we ask that you make our intention rock solid in us that this vision of your church of a place that equips the saints to go out and be ministry in a lost and wounded world takes deep root here that it honors the past of what you've built here through so many great believers and that it also creates a space for others to come into and live this out until the day you return for us all and we ask all that in Jesus name Amen